0: Welcome to the Lumpin' Week in Review, the show that covers the past week of news, happenings, and programs presented on WLPN. This week, we chatted with one of Chicago's tech leaders, heard new music from a local supergroup, and discussed sexism in stand-up comedy. All this puts the Trump Diaries and much more, only on the Lumpin' Week in Review for December 21st, 2018. Radio Free Bridgeport chatted with Claire Austin-Smith, the comedian behind Just Us Gals' showcase at Sleeping Village. Austin-Smith discussed stand-up, sexism in comedy, and the vulnerability of trying to make other people laugh. John Daly talks to the Movers and Shakers every Tuesday, Drive Time.
1: Uh, So Claire Austin Smith is here. Going to talk about a little comedy in Chicago.
2: Claire, welcome to the show.
3: Hi, I'm excited to be here. (laughs) This is
2: great. So this is the second week in a row we've had uh, a comedian. Uh, Some of we we make a habit of, but... uh, Claire uh, and I were talking, uh, Eric uh, Strykart, who plays in um, Skip Trace as well as Color Card. Uh, Of course, you guys are in a relationship, and we were talking (laughs) uh, about Maggie Hughes's appearance on the show. And Mm -hmm. you you know Maggie from the comedy scene. Mm -hmm. Uh, And we had a very interesting conversation, and we thought it would be really good to uh, follow up some of that because you come into comedy from a a kind of a different place, and you have your Mm -hmm. own showcase Mm -hmm. uh, called Just Us Gals over at Sleeping Village. Mm -hmm. What, What days is that on at?
3: It's typically a Wednesday or Thursday. We're we're once a month, usually towards the end of the month. We don't have a regular day of the week week of the month yet um we're working towards it but our next one will be january 10th
2: okay so sleeping village for folks that don't know is a new uh space logan square i can Mm -hmm. safely say yeah
3: well technically avondale but it's you know right off the belmont blue line
2: yeah so all the kids in logan square probably know where sleeping village Mm -hmm. is Uh, they're they're also friends of the lumpen family uh Mm -hmm. king hippo is one of the people that's over there Mm -hmm. you can catch his show on thursday night yep but we were talking about it because um I think it started out because Maggie uh, had a very interesting point about the way that she constructed mm-hmm. her comedy. Uh, and we not necessarily don't want to jump in here, but one of the things that, that struck me about Maggie, she's um, older to the comedy scene than most people that come into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she'd been in the comedy scene for only a couple of years before she started booking and stuff. You're obviously a younger person coming into the comedy mm-hmm. scene. You're you're doing your own booking. Maggie, because of the place that she's booking at, which is the Cork and Kerry, if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. um, does it all clean. Knight and Zanies and you, while you don't swear, your show is probably more uh, a little more alt comedy lines, right?
3: Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. I think that the the bits that myself and my two other producers, Naomi Spungen and Rima Parikh, do are more on that alt category, and the acts we book are typically, I mean. I think we book comedians that are incredibly funny and talented at the top of their game. And I mean, but you wouldn't find all of them like at a club like zanies or necessarily Laugh Factory. But, you know, some of them you would. There's definitely a crossover. Um, Yeah.
2: Talk to us a little bit about what what the difference is between alt-comedy and and regular comedy, though, because I think that's a distinction hmm. that's interesting that I think a lot of people maybe don't know anything
3: about. Yeah, well, I think, first of all, I wouldn't consider myself necessarily like, an expert in mm-hmm. either, right? Um, but I would say that, like, uh, I guess the haters would say, uh, put fake blood on it, and it's alt-comedy, you know, okay. and, like, make fun of usage of, like, props. I think it can definitely be absurd and bizarre. I think... In my own comedy, usually a punchline will tend to end up on the more absurd or dark side of things rather than like a ha-ha-ho-ho chuckle necessarily. Mm-hmm. I think that like when it comes down to it, the goal of what maybe you consider both genres is to make people laugh. Like you can be doing alt-comedy, but if people aren't laughing, then is it really comedy? You know, Um Of course, not to say that comedians don't need to work out their material or anything. It's something that's not funny one week, and you can figure out a way to make it funny down the line. And I think that's true also for more, like, normie or whatever you would say, comedy in general. And I do think that, though, like, there is broadening, like... Um, I think Megan Stalter and, and Sarah Squirm are both considered alt comedians in Chicago scene. They're both incredibly funny and they have a show at the Laugh Factory, which is one of the clubs, you know? So it's definitely brought, like, it's not necessarily like you do this here and you do that there. Um, but I do think that running, running my own show gives me the opportunity to create like the space I want to see the acts I want. And, um, which is really exciting about running Just Us Gals. I really like that ability to kind of like produce and create a show that I get to perform on and do whatever I want, pretty much.
2: Where are you finding uh, a lot of the talent
1: that you're curating in the show?
3: Um, I think we look all over the Chicago scene, really. I also host an open mic um, at Shubas, and actually that's where I saw Maggie uh, I haven't seen her since then but I know she lives in like farther south so um, it's cool because i get to see a lot of different comics come through the doors and um, sometimes these people just starting out sometimes it maybe is someone more experienced from a different city that just moved here and things like that so I think pulling from that and I mean we do our research we definitely like look through I mean who other shows are booking um, what our own personal tastes are we reach out to comedians we like ask them for a clip if we can't find one i think the goal of of like our lineups are to also be like we're not a show i mean we're called just us gals right but we book non non non-binary folks and men too of course um our goal is to make a lineup though that i think is definitely more heavy on like not non-men i guess would be a good way to say it and then also like on not like not all white people we want to have a lineup that i feel like reflects the city we live in more so than you would see potentially like other other places
2: it's interesting because we're, we're having this conversation on the day that uh, penny marshall passed mm-hmm. away and she was a pioneering for people that don't know she was uh in happy days she was in laverne and shirley but she was also the first um female director to make a film that grossed $100 million at the mm-hmm. box office and did that two or three times. She was she was considered in the 1970s to be one of America's leading comedians. Mm-hmm. Is it difficult being um, a woman starting out in comedy? I mean, we've heard a lot of horror stories mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, this last year, Louis C.K., other yeah. comedians. Is it is it tough starting out in comedy because of sexism or because of... <sighs> other things that maybe we're not necessarily aware of
3: yeah i mean i think i think so i mean anytime you're a woman going into a male-dominated field like it's going to be more challenging i think something that my my journey into stand-up i started off in comedy taking improv classes like four or five years ago at second city and kind of gave that a whirl for a couple years before getting into stand-up and so i i had this kind of what to me felt like lucky that i had friends in the stand-up scene before i started so i wasn't Necessarily going to open mics and not knowing anybody, but it's still this interesting sort of dichotomy. A lot of times, like men who are my friends. And also women who are my friends, like, when they were starting out, you know, they'd were get they get, like, a late-night Facebook message from, like, an established older comic or something like that, asking them out on a date. Which is not necessarily inappropriate, but it's a phenomenon you see, I think, when people think, oh, well, this girl's really cute and she's probably not going to stick around. Like, they they there's, like, a difference between, oh, this girl's just showing up to open mics, and then when that girl becomes, like, a real comedian, it's like, oh, we need to maybe respect her more or something like that. So I think dealing with that, like... Um, and I mean, like that can be intimidating. Um, I think sometimes stand up in the beginning can be isolating because you're performing by yourself. You're going to these open mics and waiting around for hours to perform for four minutes, usually by yourself. And, um, you know, it, you not all, not everyone gets like initiated into a friend group or can find their friends easily. It can be hard. So I think there's that, but also and to your point about like sexism and things like that, I mean you look at the headliners at clubs around Chicago and more often than not they're men. Um, So it's like reminding yourself like it may be an uphill battle in some ways, but that's why it's important to like create, create your own opportunities, create your own space and things like that. Um, But I, I think most, most men starting off in stand up probably don't have to worry about more experienced comedian, comedians hitting on them all the time, but I can't speak for everyone who knows maybe someone has had that experience. I don't want to, Uh, generalize
2: how did you work up to your first uh, your first act your first four minutes five
3: minutes oh my god Um, by writing a lot of bad stuff (laughs) like for sure for sure I mean it's always a kick to go through my old notebooks and think hmm okay glad I left that one in there (laughs) Um, so it's a lot of trial and error you know it's like going out and seeing what works and you know a joke can really kill one night and then another room not and you're like why but that people laughed at me before like why are they laughing at me now it's the same thing um but I, I do think so like kind of trial and error really and then and also personal preference sometimes there's a joke that like you know doesn't always hit but I really like it like I have a joke about uh I don't really say it on stage anymore, so I'll just say... Basically, I talk about how I had to get my a new IUD, and they did an ultrasound because the old IUD, like, fell out weirdly, and they were just, like, wanted to make sure everything was okay, and the punchline of the joke is, you know, the ultrasound just showed a bunch of spiders up there. Um, it's pretty weird, and sometimes I do it and nobody laughs, but I really like that. <laughs> I really like that ending of that joke, and so that's something I've kept in my set previously. Um because it just tickled me, right? Uh, And I feel like eventually I'll probably find a way to make it work all the time, not just some of the time.
2: It's it's interesting you mentioned that that stand-up can be uh, isolating. It's Mm -hmm. something we talked about with, with Maggie when she was in the show as well. And it's interesting to me because I think... You know I've played in bands and mm-hmm. i' uh you know i've i've done other things that are, are public facing including sitting here in a radio station or mm-hmm. uh or t- on a television station but stand up has always struck me as something that's very um vulnerable mm-hmm. you know and, mm-hmm. and I've always wondered why in a way someone would want to do that because I think you're putting yourself out there and as you mentioned you're you're trying to get people to laugh both at and and with mm-hmm. you yeah and that, that's a very strange thing um to want to do. So Mm -hmm. what, what drew you to this as something that you thought would be a a good idea in the first place?
3: Oh, well, I'm a narcissist. No. (laughs) Um, yeah, I'm so it's interesting. It's a hard question. It's a good question. I, I think when I first started doing comedy, I remember one of my teachers at Second City saying every comedian should try all the forms, like any, anything, even if you're love improv you should try stand-up if you love stand-up try improv just flex all your muscles and you know that'll help you figure out what you like and where you can grow and I remember hearing him say that and be like there's no way I will ever do stand-up that terrifies me I think it was the idea of being alone on stage and then I started going to this show um at quenchers that used to run r.i.p uh that used to be every monday called spit which is run by this improv group called sand they're incredible and i got to see so many people do solo material so that's more like gets thought of as like character work so you go up there and it's kind of like what people work on to you know audition for snl or something like that and i started doing solo material because i thought i'm supposed to do this and then that kind of put me in spaces where stand-up was happening. So if if I was in a variety showcase, there'd be more stand-ups there. And I remember one day seeing it and being like, I can do that. I think I can do that. And I also think I want to. And so on a whim, one night I went with a friend to an open mic and did, you know, four minutes at town hall at, like, 1 30 in the morning to like five people and I was really tired <laughs> like you know and and then I was but it w- I liked it you know my hands were shaking but I really liked it and that's when I started kind of thinking all right I'm gonna make this a more serious practice basically because I started to get something out of it that I wasn't getting from being on an improv team anymore and I still like improv. I still perform it occasionally. I used to be on a Herald team at I.O., which probably means nothing to anyone listening. <laughs> we know uh, what that means. We're done with the Herald. You guys are the cool kids. Uh, Don't close. Right? <laughs> close oh, ugh, gross. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I started to get something out of stand-up that I felt like I wasn't getting anywhere else. And I also was a feeling of like... Oh, I could never imagine myself not doing this. Like I found that thing that I couldn't imagine giving up. Um so that really just kind of sealed the deal of like finding that it inside like that internal motivation to like keep going that I hadn't found with any other creative pursuit I had done in my past. <laughs>
0: I 94 spoke to Nico Walker, the currently incarcerated author of the novel Charity. Walker, in a letter to Lumpin' Radio from Prison, discussed his mistakes, truth, and the military. Walker's answers are voiced by Shanna Van Volt. I-94, Lumpin' Radio's books and literature show, airs every Sunday at 11 a.m. Prison
2: and the military seem to have uh, a lot of similarities and differences. Could you expound a little bit on that?
0: Yeah. Both places you have to do the whole obsequious routine, and you're always having to hide how you really feel about just about everything, which is a drag. Also, both places it's about impossible to starve to death, so that's another thing. Truth be told, though, the military prepared me for prison in a lot of ways. In prison, you're nothing, and I already knew I was nothing from being an infantry company.
4: Nico, how has your life in prison changed since publishing the book? How have your prospects for re-entering civilian life changed?
0: Life in prison hasn't changed much. I spend more time doing interviews than I did before I wrote a book. I get letters from strangers, and that wasn't the case before. And then I've got guys coming up to me sometimes asking me if I can hook them up with my publisher, like it's just that easy. Anyway, apart from that, it's about the same. My prospects for civilian life has been proved. I'm going to write, I'm going to try and keep making money at it, too. After I get out, I'll have a little time before I have to worry about being broke again, so I've got a minute before I need to put just anything out. Still, I'm going to try and be productive. I don't want anyone saying I just got lucky with my first and last book. I've got a chip on my shoulder, really.
4: Smurfballs incident was hilarious and alarming at the same time. Why do we put veterans on pedestals when this is fairly typical behavior?
0: In regards to putting veterans on pedestals, our country abroad is aggressive and militaristic, so it makes sense that there would exist a culture wherein military service is held up as an ideal and veterans are venerated. It gets a little cliched and a little tiresome, but it can't be helped. People seem to like it, so that's how it's going to go. Year in, year out. Football season, drone strikes, Thanksgiving, Call of Duty 29, AR-15s under the tree at Christmas. This is America. It's really weird that such a small percentage of the population actually does serve, given the percentage of the population that plays Call of Duty or whatever the games are called. Really, we've got a lot of soft people with these mass murder fantasies running through their heads all the time. I get scared just thinking about it. How do you get to be a scumbag? I got to be a scumbag because I needed money and because I was hanging around dope boys too much. The night wasn't especially good. We drove around all night, Raul and Ryder and I. We were looking for a certain car. We were going to rob the guy who owned the car, but we didn't ever find him. We went to his house, Ryder said. He's not here, Raul said. Are you sure this is his house? Ryder said, I'm positive. But he said it like he wasn't positive. Ryder had a scar, a crescent that traced the left side of his face. It wasn't from an accident. Somebody had cut him. I bought heroin from Ryder when there was nothing else. Ryder was bad news. He had asked me if I could kill somebody for him. He needed me to kill somebody because he owed a lot of debt money and it was the best way to clear his debt. Ryder was in trouble. He didn't tell me that part. He just said I'd make ten racks if I killed this guy. Anyway, I said no. Ryder was full of crap. He was the type who lied to you about what time of day it was and for no reason. He was the type to get people into situations and hope they'd perform miracles for him. Ryder didn't even carry his own weight, but he was Raul's boy and Raul would believe him like he believed him about his car. Eventually I got tired I said to Raul, this probably isn't happening. We dropped Ryder off. I was burned out and I felt like crap. I hated the way I felt. I said to Raul, what about the other thing? I-, I can definitely do that. He said, yeah, let's do that. All you have to do is drive. I'll do all the work. He said, "Okay." It was a quarter to six in the morning, and I was about to be sick. I had no heroin, and I had no money, and I owed Raul $600. He didn't want to front me anymore. I said, you know I can't do anything if I'm sick. He had me take him to a trap house. He came out with a gram. He said that was it, though. I dropped him off at his girl's house. I said I'd call him in the afternoon. Then I went home. It was quarter to seven. Snow was on the ground. It was old snow, dirty and iced over. Sometimes I'd forget what month it was. Emily and Lavinia were in bed. I woke them. It was warm upstairs. My heart ached. It was good. Emily got up. Lavinia went back under the covers. She liked it there. She liked to sleep in the morning. Emily and I shot up and got ready to go. I dropped Emily off. She said she wouldn't mind taking the bus home. I said I had to go to my parents' house for something. She was fine with that. Maybe my mom would give me some groceries to bring home. Maybe my dad would give me some folding money. I parked and I went to class. I wanted to feel as normal as I could feel for a few hours. I wanted to pretend I was polite society. I wasn't supposed to meet up with Raul till three o'clock. I got home at half past noon and I let Lavinia out. I had been by the Wendy's and I bought her a cheeseburger. She wolfed the cheeseburger down in about two seconds and she looked at me like, where can we get another one of those? She reminded me of myself insatiable. I shot the last in my dope. I smoked a cigarette.
4: Hey, Nicole. So this is the last one. I found it troubling that reviewers discuss misogyny in your writing. It disappoints me that a fair reader could not emphasize with someone who has a dope fiend and a state-sanctioned killer. How do you feel about the PC mania influencing our discourse?
0: As for people who've written that I portrayed women in a negative light, I wonder how they felt about my portrayal of men. Like, when critics say that young women are being portrayed as useful for only sex, what do they think about how young men are portrayed as being useful only for killing and being killed? Anyway, I feel like women come off better in the book than the men do, most of the time at least. The book's unfortunate because it's got a basis in reality, and it's a reality that's unfortunate. And all I can say is that it is what it is. The narrator definitely says some stuff I wouldn't personally say, like I haven't ever called a woman the C word in my life, that hasn't ever happened, but I meant for the narrator to be flawed, in other words, human. So yeah, the narrator does and says a lot of things I wouldn't personally recommend, like heroin, for example. I definitely wouldn't recommend heroin to anyone unless he or she's a billionaire and got some laxatives and hooked up with something pharmaceutical grade. Also, I wouldn't recommend armed robbery. I wouldn't recommend joining the army. All I set out to do was give something real, something that was true to the reader, and I don't feel bad about how I'm perceived on account of what I write, because as long as I'm true to what's real and my heart's in it, no one can run me down. About PC mania, you've got sick people out there. Some of them don't even know they're sick. They scare me a little. But then so do Nazis. I believe in the First Amendment, though.
4: This is a special episode. This is a special episode. This is a special episode of Seisman is with Kyle Seisman. Mikowski, you fools.
1: Welcome back to Radio Free Bridgeport.
4: Ed and I are walking down the
1: street to Maria's for the annual holiday bash. Ed, what extravagant things can we expect this year? Oh, John, it's going to be insane, man. Not only do we have Santa Santanowicz, the premier holiday mariachi klezmer band, we also have the celebrity guest bartender, but that's a surprise. I can't say who it is. And with that, we can take care of some station business. When we return, may the festivities begin. And we're out. Man, people are going to freak out when they find out Abreu is mixing the drinks. It's going to be. Hey, whoa! What? what? Hey, the street sign says don't walk. No one's coming. Obey the rules, John. You're serious, man? Half the time I shoe. How much of our lives are wasted tying shoes? What, wish- the- John, what the fuck? John, oh go. John! Are you Somebody serious? What, what is going, is going on? on? Hey, call
5: 911.
1: Whoever you are, I swear to God, we can work this out. I've got a really rare stamp collection. It's got to be worth 15 grand.
5: do no sudden movements and you won't be harmed. First, remove your pants and put on these swim trunks. What? Did I stutter?
1: No. Uh, okay. Okay. Where are they? I'm, stu- I'm still wearing them. And
5: just take them off and give them to him for crying out loud.
1: All right. I mean, this is I I can't... Oh, nice, nice, nice skivvies there, John.
6: Why don't you use your, uh... <sighs> there for you? Okay,
1: there you I want him back when you're done. It's a rainforest down there. What are you going to do to me?
4: Near the airport. Uh, is that Petrowski? Uh, no, Sorry. It's, uh, Kyle, what the uh, hell is going on? What is this Mr. all about? Mr. John Daly, this is your bachelor party. Since the institution of marriage was instituted, bachelor parties have been a gauntlet test to see if you are pure of heart and ready to be wedded. Welcome.
1: Seriously, take me back to Bridgeport right now, now. Hold on.
4: I told you to bring us somewhere that was cool for the bachelor party. You're blowing it, Petrowski. But, there's tons of strip clubs around. Strip here. clubs? This is a bachelor party. What do strippers have anything to do with bachelor parties? God, <laughs> what? Petrowski, what me. is you this? Know, every time I was I try strong on Let me
1: go. Has the I'm seriously can freezing. Really can I put my pants totally back killing. on now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah! yeah
5: I'm so-
4: He likes it. He actually likes it. We have one strip of duct tape left. Ladies and gentlemen, is he done?
7: Can I pull the last one off?
4: (laughs) Who wants to see Chastity remove this final strip? Me! That's good enough.
3: Here we go. Ah! Yay!
4: <laughs> Listen, John, you gotta understand, this is not what I meant by strip club, okay? Seriously, you're dead to me. And now, my just... assistant Beepie will bring out the pickled eggs. I hope you know how to scream in Aramaic, John, boy. Ah, what the heck? Back off, mofos. Put down the fire extinguisher, Ed. Put the jar down, Kyle. It's a jar. T- a what? Really hot,
5: What's that smell? Oh, my God, oh, that's, that's sick. Fire cool. oh, ah, extinguisher,
1: how did you find me? Petrowski sent me a text, man. What was going on back there? Kyle's version of a bachelor party? Uh, he did the same thing to me. What? what Why the? is Jamie in the middle of the street? What's going on? Uh,
2: Kyle's on your roof in your Santa suit? I guess yelling about gifts and presents or something? Lo- Logan's up there
1: too, man. Okay, I'm gonna park. How did he get here before us? The currents of Undertown are much faster than the Tri State, man. We need to get up there. Logan, give me the
4: play by play. He only wants to talk to John. John. I'm just going to talk to him.
5: There's Kyle, yes. what are you doing?
4: Your final test of the bachelor party is upon us. I have brought you here tonight to bury the bachelor and rise forth the husband. Marriage is an endless season of gift-giving and in return, John, you shall Kyle, I'm already married. Huh? What? I got
1: married two weeks ago. How how
4: comes I wasn't invited? Because you're crazy. Your opinion Logan, doesn't get ready matter. To grab him. I'm sorry. Kyle. Yeah, yeah. Let's go downstairs and talk about it. We could talk right here. Back off Logan. Whoa, whoa, whoa. It's cool. Settle down, Kyle. Do settle down. Everybody always forgets about Kyle. Maybe I like sweatings. Maybe I wish I'd done it. Don't nobody want Kyle. Don't nobody want me. Kyle.
5: Listen to me.
1: You're absolutely right. Ed, stop. No one wants eat anything me, to
4: do with Ed, you. eat me, I'm the one who threw the bachelor party. I'm the one who did this and that, nothing. What are you doing, Kyle? Your final test, John. To see if you are pure of heart and deserve her love, I will now perform a test plunge. Get off the chimney, uh, man. Get uh, off the chimney, uh, 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 uh. I'm going to close my eyes and plunge myself feet first into this chimney. Please, Can I, I trust you to stop me? Are you okay? Ah, oh, sheep. Oh, I'm stuck, skis. Oh. I thought I could trust you to catch me. I guess there's not oh. enough trust between oh. us. Should I just, like, get a rope? Oh. We
1: should just leave him.
4: He'll suffocate.
1: Logan, grab some old lumpen mags. I'll get the lighter fluid. Oh, yeah, I'm on it.
4: John. What? Throw down some toilet paper. These guys want to smoke me out, I got a yule log for them. Merry Christmas. I like the new song. I wanna be left alone
5: for Christmas. I wanna be left alone for Christmas.
4: Back to you, Jamie.
2: on this Christmas edition of the Trump Diaries. Trump apparently hates Christmas. Ryan Zinke is out. Mick Mulvaney is in. Congress lays bare the tremendous scope of Russian interference. A judge throws out the ACA. Feds go after Trump's inauguration committee, and the government gets ready to shut down. Hey, happy holidays. These are the Trump Diaries. Day 693, December 13th. In the wake of his former lawyer, Michael Cohen's deeply damaging conviction, Trump tried to claim that he, quote, never directed Michael to break the law and isn't responsible for any crimes because he was acting on the advice of counsel, who is supposed to know the law. Trump said Cohen was guilty on many charges unrelated to me, which were not criminal and which he probably was not guilty even on a civil basis. He also said that Cohen made a plea to embarrass Trump. In fact, Cohen has stated plainly that Trump knew the payoffs to two women were illegal and it has been confirmed that Trump was in the room with Cohen and the staff of the newspaper The National Enquirer when deals were made to subvert campaign finance law. Cohen asked directly if Trump knew those deals were illegal said, of course. In a shock reversal, Maria Bettina pled guilty to acting as a foreign agent. Bettina tried to establish unofficial lines of communication with influential Americans in the NRA and in the Republican Party under the direction of the Kremlin. Bettina is also now expected to provide evidence against Paul Erickson, her former boyfriend and a conservative activist. She faces five years in jail, but is likely to only serve six months under a plea deal after which she will be deported. Trump's 2017 inaugural committee is now under investigation by federal prosecutors over inconsistencies in how it dispersed the $107 million it raised. Nearly a quarter of the money we raised was paid to a firm led by a friend of Melania Trump, Stephanie Wolkoff, that was formed 45 days before the inauguration. Other donors apparently gave money in exchange for access to the incoming administration. The Senate delivered a rebuke to Trump and Saudi Arabia, passing a resolution condemning Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman for the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Trump has repeatedly said he does not believe MBS is responsible for the death of the Post columnist, quote, because he has denied it repeatedly. And Trump canceled the annual White House holiday party for the media. The White House had held that event for decades. Trump has also canceled a number of other traditional events including dinners from visiting local chefs and holiday open houses. Trump apparently hates Christmas because it is not about him. Trump campaigned in part on the so-called war on Christmas. Day 694, December 14th. A seven-year-old girl from Guatemala died while detained by the U.S. Border Patrol. The girl and her father had crossed illegally into the United States and reportedly had not eaten or consumed water for several days. The girl did not receive prompt medical attention in custody. The White House issued a statement saying the girl's death was 100% preventable if Congress would disincentivize migrants from coming to the United States. The Trump inaugural committee and a pro-Trump super PAC received illegal donations from Middle Eastern nations. Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and the UAE used straw donors to disguise those donations. That PAC, Rebuilding America Now, was used by Paul Manafort as an arm of the campaign itself. That is also illegal. Manafort used RAN as he believed it would raise unlimited funds without scrutiny. However, foreign contributions to federal campaigns, PACs, and inaugural funds are illegal. As an inquiry into the Trump inaugural committee grew rapidly, it was also revealed that Ivanka Trump personally negotiated the prices that the committee paid the Trump Organization for rooms, meals, and event space at the Trump International Hotel in Washington. That committee reportedly vastly overpaid for the spaces in what appears to be a case of money laundering. Trump subsequently sent professional liar Sarah Huckabee Sanders out to face the press. She made the statement that, quote, the biggest thing that this president did, his engagement in the inauguration, was to come here and raise his hand and take the oath of office. Chris Christie became the latest man to take his name out of consideration for the chief of staff job being vacated by John Kelly. Christie was unemployed after his tenure as New Jersey's governor reportedly told Trump he too wished to spend more time with his family. Day 695, December 15th. Mick Mulvaney was named as Trump's new chief of staff, acting only. Mulvaney was previously Trump's budget director. In a TV appearance on Fox News, Rudy Giuliani said those payments to two women headed up by the National Enquirer, Michael Cohen, were, quote, overblown because nobody got killed, nobody got robbed. This was not a big crime. In fact, those payments were federal crimes and campaign finance violations. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos was forced to cancel $150 million dollars in federal student loan debt for 15,000 borrowers. A federal judge also ordered the immediate implementation of the borrower defense rule. That rule affects students cheated by for-profit colleges. DeVos, of course, is a major investor in for-profit education. Day 696, December 16th, Governor Doug Ducey of Arizona appointed Representative Martha McSally to the Senate seat previously held by the deceased John McCain. Interestingly, McSally had been defeated in her bid for Arizona's other Senate seat by Kristen Cinema. And almost unnoticed in the Mueller court filings was a notification that his team is attempting to compel a witness to testify in court. The proceedings which are sealed by court order detail a key individual with knowledge of crimes who is refusing to testify. The court will now decide if he or she has to, at which time Muller's team can appeal or subpoena. The key individual's name, of course, is not known. But however, multiple sources are reporting the figure is either Vice President Mike Pence or Donald Trump Jr. Day <laughs> 697, December 17th. A major report prepared for the U.S. Senate showed that Russia used every major social media platform to help elect Trump, and then worked even harder to support him while Trump gained office. Russian operatives also prepared fake material on the Robert Mueller investigation, claiming that the allegations of Russian interference was a crackpot conspiracy. The campaigns also urged African-American members to boycott the election and focus on other issues, and sent conservative and right-wing voters patriotic and anti-immigrant slogans designed to elicit outrage about, quote, liberal appeasement of others at the expense of U.S. citizens to encourage them to vote for Trump. Really Giuliani claimed that Mueller's investigation is done, and that all Mueller is looking at now is parking tickets and jaywalking. However, Giuliani was flustered when he was directly asked if Roger Stone ever gave Trump a heads up about WikiLeaks. Giuliani responded, no, he didn't know, but then paused and backtracked, saying, I don't believe so. But again, if Roger Stone gave anybody a heads up about WikiLeaks leaks, that's not a crime. It would be like giving him a heads up that Times is going to print something. That's why this thing is so weird, so strange. The crime is conspiracy to hack. Collusion is not a crime. It doesn't exist. He is correct that collusion doesn't exist. However, conspiracy does. Head of Communications, Bill Shine, has signed a month-to-month lease in Washington, D.C., Shine told friends this was due to the grave uncertainty surrounding the Trump administration. Day 698, December 18th. In advance of the sentencing of Michael Flynn, Sarah Huckabee Sanders made a last ditch effort to promote the false narrative he was entrapped by the feds. Quote, the FBI broke every standard protocol they have. They threw FBI protocol out the window for one reason and one reason only because it was the Trump administration and they thought they could get away with it. Flynn himself shot this narrative down in court denying this ever happened. And Trump is now preparing to shut the U.S. government down over his wall. The partial shutdown could occur at midnight and would risk leaving hundreds of thousands of federal employees furloughed or working without pay. Costs would be in the billions of dollars. Asked if it was a good idea for Trump to call people rats as he has to people who have turned states' evidence against him, Huckabee Sanders replied, People who are dishonest and lying, it seems like a pretty appropriate term. Day 699, December 19th. The Donald J. Trump Foundation will close and give away all its remaining funds. New York State sued that foundation, accusing it of, quote, a shocking pattern of illegality that saw the alleged charity unlawfully coordinate with Trump's presidential campaign. A broader lawsuit, which seeks millions of dollars in restitution and penalties, as well as a ban on Trump and his three oldest children from serving on the boards of other New York charities, continues. A federal judge told disgraced Trump adviser Michael Flynn that he had sold his country out. However, the judge delayed Flynn's sentencing until Flynn completes his cooperation agreement with federal prosecutors. Flynn could face five years in prison for lying to federal investigators about his contacts with Russia, which the judge turned disgusting and hinted was treasonous. Facing a lack of support in his own party, Trump backed down on his demand for $5 billion for a wall on the border. That eased fears of a shutdown pending on Friday. Sarah Huckabee Sanders claimed the White House had a number of different funding sources we could use to reach the $5 billion price tag. Sanders also said they had a $1 billion general immigration fund that was immediately shot down as a slush fund in Congress. The panel of judges dismissed dozens of ethics complaints filed against Brett Kavanaugh. The panel concluded the complaints were serious but must be dismissed because the panel does not have jurisdiction over Supreme Court justices. And Trump will roll back Obama-era policies aimed at ensuring that minority children are not unfairly disciplined. The administration bizarrely used the massacre at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida in their decision. A commission set up to investigate those killings immediately turned away from gun control to focus on Obama's school discipline policies. Tellingly, not one of the major school shootings in our nation have been perpetrated by black students. However, Trump has repeatedly sought to undermine or end affirmative action policies across the board. Day 700. December 20th. The Justice Department ordered an unnamed foreign company to comply with a grand jury subpoena from Robert Mueller. The identity of that company remains unknown but has been identified as a foreign government owned company tied to Mueller's investigation. In related news, incoming House Chair Adam Schiff says he is going to subpoena Deutsche Bank for all records related to Trump's transactions. The Senate passed a sweeping overhaul of the criminal justice system, handing a rare bipartisan victory to Trump. The First Step Act passed on a vote of 87 to 12, with dozens of Republicans, including Mitch McConnell, joining all Democrats. The act reduces sentences enacted during the war on drugs. And Rudy Giuliani lied and claimed that Trump had never signed any letters of intent with regards to a Trump Tower in Moscow. It was a real estate project, there was a letter of intent to go forward, but no one signed it, Giuliani told CNN this morning. In fact, the letter which CNN obtained bears Trump's signature, and is dated October 28, 2015. Trump's 2020 re-election campaign is merging with the Republican National Committee. Tying his campaign to the RNC will make it harder for a primary challenger. The new organization will be called Trump Victory. The Trump administration made a second and final round of payments to farmers and ranchers hurt by Trump's trade wars. The final round brings the total direct payment amount to $9.6 billion. Trump ordered the creation of Space Command to, quote, integrate space capabilities across all branches of the military. Trump has proposed a sixth branch of the military to be called the Space Force. Roger Stone admitted to spreading lies via InfoWars. He lost a defamation lawsuit to Gao Wangi, a vocal critic of Beijing. Stone is now forced to run apology ads in national newspapers and make posts on social media. If Stone fails to, he is liable for $100 million in a defamation judgment and Trump's staff is deeply worried about the 16-day Christmas break. With Mueller's probe tightening, the prospect of Trump having so much free time and unsupervised is giving staffers fits. The staff is fed up. He's acting like a nut, said one. They can't get him to stop tweeting. new survey says 7 in 10 Americans do not believe anything that Trump says. Close to 65% of Americans think he has something to hide from the Russia probe. These are the Trump Diaries.
0: Melanie Adcock spoke to Katie Lynch. Melanie Adcock spoke to Katie Lynch, the head of Codeverse. Lynch discussed coming to America from her native Scotland, her company's goal of teaching 1 billion children how to code, and how women can get a leg up in the tech world. Tech Chicago with Melanie Adcock airs every Friday at 1 p.m.
6: We have Katie Lynch, uh, the co-founder of CodeVerse, and we are so um, very happy to have her here for our, our holiday special, and she will be here with us for the entire show. Katie, welcome to our broadcast.
7: Melanie, thank you for having me.
6: I wanted to ask you what it means for you.
7: Yeah, that is a loaded question, and I could write a book about it.
6: <laughs> well, you, you very well might someday.
7: I very well might, yeah. Um you know, for me, success looks like this. Success is getting up in the morning and being excited about all the projects that I'm working on and knowing that my team are equally as excited about what we're doing. And, you know, it's 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 a really fun question because Craig and I, years ago, when we were deciding to launch Codeverse, we knew that we wanted to build a social impact, mission-driven business. Mm-hmm. And so when we came up with the verse name and came up with what it was gonna be, we said to each other, the mission is gonna be teach a billion kids to code. And because we were so excited and passionate about that, it's actually easier to get up in the morning and, and, and be excited and rally each other and mm-hmm. rally our team around this bold mission of, mm-hmm. of you know teaching these kids this valuable skill. So mm-hmm. to to answer your question it's it's that success to me is knowing that I'm waking up every day and I'm making a difference and Craig is making a difference and the entire team is making a difference in all of these children's lives.
6: Man that that is really something. And and when I think about success in the context of Chicago I personally have a lot of opinions opinions on this, both good and bad. Um, And I've seen it in the arts community in my Pilsen neighborhood where I live and then later on in the tech industry here, um, where if you're successful, sometimes people are not always happy for you. Mm. And and this has happened to a lot of other people out there that I know. Um, Now, I am very, very happy for you, Katie. And I know that good things are always happening and going to happen for you. But how do you deal with all the people out there who aren't
7: I don't deal with them Melanie (laughs) I don't have time for that um no I mean in all honesty like I mean there's always going to be people that have opinions there's always going to be naysayers Mm -hmm. like if I focused my time and energy on that I wouldn't be where I am today Mm -hmm. and and so I don't I don't deal with it I just kind of focus on the future and what's um and what's going on with Codeverse and my own personal life and I focus on my family and friendships and all of that. Mm -hmm. That's just the truth.
6: That is great. Well, and now I asked you that question because I knew that you were going to have such a positive great response uh, to how to deal with that and this is part of what what i think makes you great and and i'm an advocate for everybody in the chicago tech industry and every once in a while i put my foot down on a thing or two and if there are any <laughs> people out there who are hate hating on any of this just just quit just stop right now i'm gonna send them all a christmas card <laughs> so um so what what are some other ways that you stay positive in the face of ups and downs and, in life and business?
7: Yeah, and there's a lot of ups and downs. <laughs> that's that's the thing about yeah. startup life that they don't tell you is it's yeah. one big roller coaster. You know, on, on any given day, you might have great successes and there may be some failures or mistakes and, um, you know, lessons learned. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, how I stay positive is... Like for me, everything honestly just goes back to the mission. Mm -hmm. I mean, and and, um, I'm I'm thinking right now because there's a there's a poster on my desk at work right now Mm -hmm. that says, if you're thinking about quitting, think about why you started. Mm -hmm. And I love that because there are so many moments where you just kind of want to throw your hands up in the air or you're frustrated at something or you've made a mistake and you're like oh god this sucks but i always go back to well why did we start this thing in the first place why are Craig and i and the team doing this anyway and so it just it all it all goes back to the mission and our goals
6: mhm well and and i i i think that's so admirable and you're right or there it is a roller coaster for the startup life for sure and but you know Katie you might be I think one of of the most visible women in in tech in the Chicago area. So I have to ask you, I feel I should uh, ask uh, (laughs) about how you feel about women in tech as well. Um, You know, IBM, Yahoo, Mm -hmm. Hewlett-Packard, YouTube, and Intel Mm -hmm. have all had women CEOs, which is still a fairly new thing. Mm -hmm. Um, And from your perspective as a co-founder, how is the view of women running companies changing? As there are more of us uh, stepping up?
7: Yes, yes, there's a lot of us stepping up. Um, It's a very, very exciting time, I think, to be a woman in tech, uh, or just in tech in general. And, you know, I'll speak for here in Chicago. When I first moved here, which was 11 years ago, um, and I kind of first got my um, start in the Chicago tech scene in 2008, I, I mean, i could count the amount of women on one hand at at any tech event i mean Mm -hmm. it was abysmal it was Mm -hmm. appalling Mm -hmm. um and even when i thought about who are the chicago role models for women or who are the women leaders i couldn't think of 10 Mm -hmm. you know and this was back then and now with the rise of you know co-working spaces and incubators and venture capitalist firms and All of these things that we have got, you know, press exposure, Uh like there's just been a a huge change here Mm -hmm. in the past decade. And now we're seeing female founders everywhere and it's magical. And Mm -hmm. for me especially, Mm -hmm. it's been magical to watch because I've been here for so long now um, that I've witnessed the beginning to, to present day.
6: You, so you, I'm delighted. And, yeah, you and me both. I I feel the same way, and I I, re, I mean I remember going to a tech event and people treating me like I was there as somebody's date. Yeah,
7: ten Awful. years ago.
6: Yes, appalling. Just like you said. Um, and and, I, and I've read so much about how, you know, women-led companies are, on the one hand, they're not funded enough. Mm. Yet, on the other hand, they have some of the highest ROI for investors. And, and now, for for our listeners who don't know the, all the tech lingo and things, so the ROI means return on investment. Now, what that means is when people and investors with money invest in women-run companies, they're making... A great decision that makes them a profit. You know, studies have shown this. Now, now Co-verse has received funding, mm-hmm. you know, recently, which is a, a great accomplishment for you and and uh, I, I thought perhaps you could tell us a, a bit, you know, a bit about this. Um,
7: yeah, so we did. We just um, closed our latest round. Um, it was over ten million uh, in late July, which is obviously really exciting for the team um, and for the company. Um, I guess to backtrack just a little bit, you know, one, one thing that I do wanna say about funding before I really get into it is, when you're a startup founder and you have an idea and you know that you definitely want to start your business because you've proved that there's demand for what you're doing um, and you can generate revenue from what you're doing, there's kind of three ways to go about um, investment. The first way is bootstrapping your business, which mm-hmm. means you're putting your own personal money and mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. into into the company mm-hmm. there's um you know raising a uh, uh you know a very small amount of money and just running like a lifestyle business mm-hmm. so um and social katie was uh, i would say kind of a lifestyle business like we mm-hmm. raised a very small round around a quarter of a million dollars we could have raised more but we didn't because we didn't need it mm-hmm. and we ran social katie as just this beautiful business until we sold it in 2014. So -hmm. it was a lifestyle company. and then, and then you have businesses like CodeVerse that has a very uh, bold mission of teaching a billion kids. We knew that co- we wanted CodeVerse to be a large company mm-hmm. and a very scalable company that would be everywhere, not only nationally, but internationally. And that's when we decided very early on, we need to raise a lot of money from investors to mm-hmm. actually make this business a reality yeah. because it's going to cost us a lot of money to A, hire um a players to join the team Mm -hmm. right to build Mm -hmm. the product build Mm -hmm. the studios etc etc but the build out of the studios themselves Mm -hmm. cost money Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. um and so and and building out the uh kid script or software was going to cost money you Mm -hmm. have to invest Mm -hmm. into that early so um that was a long-winded way of answering your question, but I do think it's important to understand that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we we raised a, our, a large round right now so that we can expand the business outside of just Chicago.
6: hmm mm-hmm. that and it's so interesting to hear the story of that because there there's so many people who are thinking, "Wow, how could I do that?" Mm-hmm.
7: Well, this is a little a little taste of, of how they might. You know? well I well exactly yeah and I think mm-hmm. again as I said before it's just really important to define what is what is your business what mm-hmm. industry are you in and what kind of business are we talking about here? Mm-hmm. Is it a large scalable you know are you building the next Apple or are you building the next? Social KD media mm-hmm. agency that again mm-hmm. is, is is a lifestyle business. Hmm.
6: Hmm. Well, and, well. Now you you run Codeverse with your husband Craig, and I wanted to ask you. Um, I'm curious, you know, how he supports you in your in your leadership role. And I, I ask and I laugh a little bit because um because I'm going to be talking with my husband <laughs> about this later tonight after the show. And and, and I I talked to him as I was preparing. You know, I we're going to find find out. So I mean, having <laughs> you know running a, a business with your husband, I want to know how supports you and all of that so if, if you could just talk a, a, a bit about that too because i think i'd I th- love to i'd love to hear some
7: yep um i get this question all of the time from I, friends yeah. from family from people in tech yeah. everyone and here's here's what i'll say running a company with your spouse is not for everyone it's yeah. probably not for like 99 percent of people here's yeah. what i will say about craig and i Codeverse is actually the third business now that we've run together, and we've sold one business together. So we've been doing this for a really long time. Mm. The other thing I'll say about Craig and I is uh, we have very different skill sets. In fact, we could not be more polar opposite when it came to our strengths and, mm. and, and even our weaknesses. You know, Craig is extremely analytical, um, very behind the scenes, very technical um very creative whereas I'm also very creative but I'm extremely extroverted um I love marketing I love PR I love sales I love being very forward-facing love business development you know so it's just we're just very different people but we complement each other Mm -hmm. and that is honestly why why it works
0: Radio Free also heard new music from local star Skip Trace. This song is from their forthcoming album called When You Go.
5: I can't fix there's a well deep inside as it dries it inside you. Mm. There's so much that I hide. I'd confide if I could, but your predisposition it inspires some omission. So I guess I'll just go back to my room. Just in stand your ground. You know that's no way to love me now. Off your chest.
0: The Lumpin' Week in Review is produced by the staff and volunteers of WLPN LP Chicago, the community radio of the future. The Week in Review is overseen by Jamie Trecker. Additional production by Cole Eisenberg, Julie Wu, Sergio Rodriguez, Neil Gaynor, Lane Gerbig, Alexander Jerry, John Pietrowski, and Hannah Larson. Live music production by Ari Shellist. The Lumpin' theme, background, and interstitial music is by Mike Perkins. Lumpin' Radio Sting by Dan Jugal. Additional music from International Anthem Archive. Voiceovers by Shanna Van Volt. For more information on Lumpen Radio, visit lumpenradio.com. Lumpen Radio broadcasts on 105.5 FM in the Chicago area and worldwide via lumpenradio.com. <laughs>